I invite you now to take a Bible to open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to read the very end of the chapter, which for us as a church is finishing a series through the Gospel of Luke. We broke it up into two parts, but we began in chapter 1. We're all the way here now at the end in verse 36 on page 885, finishing up the Gospel of Luke. To me, this book has become like a friend, almost as Lindsay talked about the Gospel of John to her. The Gospel of Luke has become familiar, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope as a congregation you have as well. Uh, But even if you're just visiting us today, I think you'll find in it uh, much um, to encourage your faith. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, this is on page 885. Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, your witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple praising God. This actually brings us back, for those of us who've been tracking with this series here at the end, it almost takes us back to the beginning where the gospel opened in the temple in a time of expectation and eager longing. And when Jesus had been born... There was someone in the temple that when his parents then brought him to dedicate him in the temple and to present him before God and to say thank you that he had been born, there was an older gentleman standing there and his name was Simeon. And he prophesied to Mary and Joseph in a way confirming what they'd already been hearing all along, but he said to them that now he could depart in peace that he had seen the Lord's Christ, that through his prayer, through his worship, he had felt revealed that he was, in fact, going to be fortunate to see the Messiah come. And at that time, the Messiah was just a newborn baby. But he was so confident that this newborn baby was, in fact, the king to come, the Lord's Christ, that he heard it and said that he could depart in peace. And here, at the very end, we have Jesus pronouncing peace. But not a peace in which, like Simeon, he could depart and now say, as we'll often say of people who pass on, may they rest in peace. 
But this announcement of peace is a peace that we can live in. This is a peace that God gives to us that is not meant only for when we die to experience rest in peace, but that what he has in fact done for us in rising from the dead and being victorious over the grave is to speak peace over the whole of our lives, whether we live for weeks more or months more, years more or decades more that it is possible because of the resurrection to not simply have something that affects us in the, in the here and after, but right now, that we can live in the peace for the people who have been waiting for it. And we, we understand Simeon's joy as representative of all the people of Israel who heard prophecies over many, many years waiting for the king to come. And waiting is not easy. Now, the congregation here at Lakeside knows that most of my illustrations come from children's books because that's the phase of life I'm in. I've got two boys that are just ahead of John and Lindsay's two boys, and so most of my extracurricular reading comes from that. And I was blessed when someone bought a gift for our boys, and the book is Waiting is Not Easy. I said, oh, that is incredibly practical. I wasn't familiar with it or the characters, but I was excited to see it. And so there's a pig and an elephant. They're the two main characters. There's a series of books Uh, In them, some of you might be familiar with them, but I'm not. They're newer. They weren't a part of my childhood. But uh, the pig comes and says, Gerald, and he says, I have a surprise for you. And he says, yeah, what is it? Well, the surprise is a surprise. And he says, oh, is it big? Yes. Is it pretty? Yes. Can we share it? Yes. I cannot wait. You'll have to. Wait what? Why? Well, the surprise is not here yet. So I'll have to wait for it? Yes, And then there's this big groan. And then it continues to go on where he's asking, well, is it almost here? Is it here yet? And he says, no. And he keeps groaning. And then he starts to wonder and doubt. Like maybe what you're sharing is not really going to happen. And maybe it's not even worth all the wait. And eventually the, the colors change and the elephant just gets madder and madder. I don't know if that's a word or not. But uh, eventually the background changes and it starts to appear to be getting closer to night. So now he's saying, wait a minute, we've wasted an entire day for this thing. I mean, it's getting darker and darker. We're soon not going to be able to see and the letters get bigger. He's just angry and screaming. And he says, what have we been doing all of this waiting for? And he's so upset. And finally the pig says, well, for that. And then he points up to the sky. And then in the darkness of the night sees the universe sees all of the stars and the planets that are only visible in the bleakness of night and so then he comments to him in an apologetic tone and says well that was worth the wait and his friend says i know and he says tomorrow morning i want to show you the sunrise and he says i cannot wait And it's a good illustration that, yeah, the concept of waiting is difficult and we don't like it, but there are some things that we only gain in our appreciation for if we've waited for them. And sometimes it takes the darkness of a night to allow other things to shine really, really bright. And Simeon there at the beginning of Luke's gospel had with all of Israel been waiting and waiting, hoping that he'd be able to depart in peace and one day rest in peace. And now here at the end, when Jesus has died and risen again, he can announce peace, peace that can begin for each and every one of his followers 
right now and not something that they just have to wait for on death's door, but they can experience immediately. And so the first thing that happens is that the king appears to them. At his birth, he'd been announced as the king on the cross. They wrote above on his cross as the charge of his crime that he said he was the king of the Jews. And in his rising again, he proved that he was the king and that he, the king of the Jews, was in fact the king of kings. And the king appears to him and the first words of good news is peace to you, to which their response was that they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. And so he stays with them. Just days before, he had been before them, betrayed and beaten and bruised. And so there's a bit of a shock in them as they see him alive again. And so he comforts them and he says, touch me and see. He doesn't immediately criticize them. He says, I get, I get it. So if you need more, if you need to touch me, if you need to see, do that. But here I am in the flesh Spirits don't have flesh like I have. And as they're still thinking about it, it says as they still disbelieve for joy, it says, okay, and while you're thinking about it, I'm hungry. You, you give me something to eat while you guys continue to process just in fact what's going on. And so by his physical appearance to them, his invitation to touch them, and then his expression of a desire to eat, he is confirming in them that he really is alive. He's resurrected. Death has been defeated. The payment has been made. And so for us, Easter is not simply a, a singular celebration of one Sunday out of the year where we mark something, but it's the reality now in which we live. We live now in the season of Easter. Something has begun in our celebration of Easter that has not and will not ever end. And we live now in the reality of that. Some of you were raised in a, in a church tradition that in your preparation for Easter, you celebrate a 40-day period called Lent where you fast in preparation for the time of celebration in Easter. And there's so much beauty to that. I didn't experience that growing up. I, if I can make a church joke, uh, I grew up in a tradition that gave up Lent one year for Lent, and 400 years later, they never brought it back. And so I've come to experience it through other people who had different backgrounds than I did, but especially if you did, and it's appropriate to fast in preparation for Easter. Well, then in light of Easter, most theologians and Christians down the centuries will tell us is a time of feasting. So in other words, if you've not eaten meat a lot in the last 40 days leading up to Easter, you better be ordering double meat now. Now's the time of feasting. If you withheld chocolate or dessert from yourself, you better be having cake for breakfast every morning. It is a time of feasting. Not even your doctor will complain when they can prescribe you medications to offset what it is you're doing. But it's a time of feasting and celebration to take on a new habit. If you've always wanted to dance and never felt comfortable on a dance floor, take dance lessons. Why? Because there's life. Something new has happened. It's, it's a season of celebration that something has begun that will never end. And anything that to prepare yourself in repentance, you withheld the truth of who Jesus is and the victory that he has secured, that as he has appeared before his disciples, he says, guys, it's time to eat. It's time to dance. It's time to celebrate. Because he has been victorious, and he appears to his disciples. He shows them 
who he is, reveals that he's the king who can be touched and seen. And then he also invites them to listen and to learn. And gathered around a table, he explains to them how from the law of Moses, from the Psalms, from the prophets, all of it had been pointing to him. And he teaches them. And so just like they were invited to taste and to see, they're invited to listen and to learn from him. And they get a 40-day period leading up to the celebration of Pentecost with the risen Savior for him to remind them of all the things he'd been preparing them for up until his death and resurrection, but that they couldn't really quite understand fully until he appeared again to them. But he doesn't just give them a history lesson and point back to the past. As now the risen and reigning king, the king doesn't just appear, but the king commissions them. And he gives each of them a vision and a purpose and a mission for their life. Look down in verse 46. So he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So now what? Well, now that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so here again, he shows them that the peace that he has secured for them is for here and now, that they have a new goal and mission and purpose. That what he has done is not just for them and the group of 11 that they are and the community that they experience, but is in fact for all nations, for all people. That just like something began and will never end, something started in Jerusalem, but it's not supposed to end there. It is supposed to spread to the north and the south and the east and the west and to reach all people from all backgrounds. And the term there, nations, it's, it's not describing what we might think of as countries. Uh, what we think of as countries, the, the more appropriate term is states. A nation is a distinct ethnic group of people. A state is a political entity. Now, sometimes a state is exclusively a nation, but more often than not, states have multiple nations living within them. But when he says this is good news for all nations, that the message of forgiveness and repentance should go forward, he's saying for all groups of people, which is what Simeon had said at the beginning. When Simeon prayed the prayer and said, this is the Lord's Christ, he said that this would be a light for the Gentiles. And now Luke is taking us back here at the end of the beginning to say, yes, this is for all nations, this good news the king is instructing his 11 and those around them to go into all the world. And do you know we're the recipients of that today? We are living history gathered together in Northeast Ohio in the year 2017 from something that began in the Middle East in Jerusalem to people who primarily spoke Hebrew and Greek. So just the very fact that I could invite you to open a Bible, to read it, that you could understand the words, even if you didn't follow all of it, that you and I could read in our language that wasn't the language any of them spoke back then is the testimony to followers of Jesus who took seriously the king's commission and they went to all the corners of the earth. And as they went, they translated the scriptures and they continued to show like Jesus did from the law of Moses, from the Psalms, from the prophets, here's why you can trust and believe that Christ is who he said he is. And so the very fact that we're present today 
you didn't just show up to something that you decided to do yesterday or decided to do this morning. We have all entered into thousands of years of history that had people long ago not been faithful to the King's Commission, we would not have been here to know and understand and learn and celebrate exactly what it is that God has done. But he gave them this commission, and it's the commission for us to say because he rose from the dead, he's begun not just to save a few, but another way in which the Bible describes salvation is that he is making a new heavens and a new earth. He is redeeming all of creation. So that instead of us saying, okay, well, if the main point is that we be saved, then why don't we, why don't we get saved and then go right to heaven, just like the thief on the cross? Wouldn't that be the best thing to happen, that at the very closest to our passing, we could see who he is and then go straight to glory? Well, that isn't the majority experience for followers because Christ intends something more, that he redeems us and then gives us a purpose and a commission to say not nothing else matters, but because he is who he is and because he's done what he's done, everything you and I do matters. The way we raise our kids, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we do our jobs, the way we love and live with other people, all of that we see now matters because we believe that the God who made the world has redeemed the world and in redeeming the world, he's remaking the world. And so everything you and I do in obedience to him in service of other people is something that will ring true for all of eternity. If we don't believe in God and we don't believe there's any larger purpose to this world, then this short time we have on this earth is about trying to experience as much as we could possibly experience because we don't know that we'll ever experience anything again. And we just feel like there's a clock over us that none of us know when it's going to finally say zero. And there's this anxiety of we need to pack in as much as we possibly can because we don't know anything about the future. And the peace that Christ offers is to say, I've secured your future. You're not running out of time. The new heavens and the new earth has just begun. And everything you do and everything you experience has ramifications for all of eternity. And it's good news even for the suffering and the bad experiences that we have that when we die, they're not made permanent, but that God is able through what he offers to us in the next life to even redeem those moments and experiences. And therefore, we can live not with an anxiety of how little time we have, but with peace. That the one who made us, who shaped us and fashioned us, the one who sent his son to die for us, he knows exactly how much time we have. And he has done everything that was needed to be done to ensure that time would be no more. That's the promise of the resurrection. That he had a new body and could say, touch, feel, look, it's, it's really me. And that you and I who place our faith in him, who accept the repentance and the gift that he offers, the peace that we don't have naturally, but we can receive and accept as a gift, can experience that new flesh, new bones, new body, joined together with our spirits for all of eternity to experience what he has for us.
And then the way the passage ends is that the king who commissions them to that good work then ascends to his throne. Which at first thought, I know for me growing up and thinking about it and just say, well, man, if he really did rise again and he was there, wouldn't it be great if he could be at all of ours for lunch this afternoon and say, hey, touch and feel and, and feed me something. I'd love to eat with you. Wouldn't that do so much to confirm in us in our moments of doubt and fear? So why does he ascend? And the answer of scripture is that, again, he's not abandoning his followers in this moment. He's not saying, now you're on your own. I did what I need to do. You do what you need to do. I've given you the job description. But his departure was an ascension to a throne and to a place of authority. So he's not absent from the world and the things going on in the world. But he has, if you will, put himself again in the driver's seat that he's in central command. He's at the right hand of the Father. In other letters in the New Testament, it says that he is interceding to the Father on our behalf so that he has received the victory that he's won. And we have that in in our own uh, experiences when we put on athletic displays, whether it's the Olympics or different championships. There's the game and there's the culmination of the game, and then usually that's followed by some type of ceremony where there is the rightful response that if you've won, now we're going to give you your trophy. Now we're going to give you your ring. Now we're going to give you your title. Jesus, in rising from the dead that first Easter, showed his victory and his ascension to the throne. He has received everything that is appropriate in glory, in beauty, in majesty, and in honor for a king who's won and secured such a victory. And so in going and being ascended back to the Father, what he's doing for us is not leaving us, not abandoning us, but showing that everything he has earned for us and everything that he has offered for us could never be taken away. No one can touch it. No, no force of darkness can come upon him. No army can come after him. What he has secured as our king, he now has in the safest place possible so that no one can take it. The way our Bibles open in the story of Genesis when our first parents fall into sin and they experience spiritual death, there was in the garden, the way the Bible story unfolds, a tree that gave to people immortality, the ability to live forever. And one of the acts of God's grace was to say that we wouldn't want to live like we live right now forever with the brokenness and the sin and the suffering that we experience. And so there was a separation of the tree of life from humanity. Here, the separation is not so that we won't be able to taste of the fruit of what God has given us. Here it's the reverse. He's ascended to his throne so that no one could ever block our access to the tree again. So that everything good that he has done for us, we can with confidence, like we sang, before the throne of God above, know that we have a strong and perfect plea. That again gives us peace. Your heavenly Father wants you to have the type of peace that knows 
that whatever diagnosis you've received, whatever bad relationship you're going through, whatever harm might have come upon you, just even in this last week, cannot touch or damage what Christ has secured for you in dying for you and rising again. He's already ascended on the throne. He is ruling and reigning. And you and I can live now in the peace that that provides. Well, there's still a whole bunch of bad stuff that happens. And so we say, well, okay, if he's ruling and reigning, why do these things still happen? And part of how the Bible describes it is what he gives us is a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that doesn't come from our circumstance, doesn't come from what other people say about us, doesn't come from how physically healthy we might be at the moment. It's a peace that gives us the ability to live strong and bold and to live as if everything matters and the confidence of that even when we face difficulty or disease or death around us. That's the good news that he offers. That's the peace that the king announces. And the only king that could do that is a king who appears to us, a king who commissions us, and then a king who ascends the throne to guarantee that that will happen. And against the dark sky of what was the cross, we see all the light of the universe shine through. And we can say, wow, that was worth the wait. And if he's provided that, we want to see what the sunrise looks like. We want to see what the new day dawning is in light of this king who's on his throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the king who's risen again, who now lives, that we don't look back simply and celebrate events in the past, but in what we celebrate, we acknowledge that you are alive and well, that you're as present with us in this room as you were with the 11 in the Gospel of Luke. And so we thank you that you are the one who has secured our past, our present, and our future. And that all of the anxieties and the questions and the struggles and the doubts that we might have, you have a good word of peace to pronounce over it. We thank you for the opportunity we all had this morning to hear a testimony from Lindsay, the expression of an individual knowing in a greater sense and in a greater depth the peace that you offer and the way it transforms every area of life and brings new joy and new purpose. And we pray that we would be challenged by that. To know that what you desire for us begins now. It can begin now if we're willing to receive it as a gift. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. To live presently in the time of feasting. To celebrate, to rejoice and in so doing, to honor you in acknowledging how great your victory is. In your son's name we pray, amen.